Brothers and sisters, our text is Luke 1, the verses 26 through 38, and we read that together already. After the sermon, let's sing together hymn 17. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we're going to talk about a virgin birth. A virgin birth, or a virgin conception, means a girl or a woman becomes pregnant without the involvement of a man. Any doctor or scientist will tell you that this is impossible. Even in vitro fertilization requires the involvement of a male. It takes male and female to have a baby. Remember when I was younger, I used to read a a column in the newspaper by Ann Landers. Ann Landers spoke about lifestyle issues, and it's amazing how often she would get a letter in which some woman was complaining that uh, I got pregnant, but I have no idea how. And one time there was a letter, a lady said, I was in a swimming pool and I got pregnant. I don't know how that's possible. And Ann Lander said, well, there must have been a man in the swimming pool as well. This kind of stuff has been a subject of, of jokes and ridicule and incredulity. You know, the, the, the Bible teaching that, that Mary was a virgin when she conceived and gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ is utterly mocked. I, I think it's ridiculed even more than the teaching of a six-day creation or the resurrection of the dead. And the sad thing is that's not just a ridicule among unbelievers, but even among people who call themselves Christians. It's been more than 100 years that ministers in mainstream Christian churches refused to read the Apostles' Creed in church. That's because of the line, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's impossible. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. They said, it just can't happen. Well, it all depends on your worldview. As Christians, and I think I would speak for everybody in this room, as Christians, we have a worldview that says there is a God who is eternal, he is invisible, he's everywhere present, and he knows everything that's going on. And we believe that there are angels and demons, even though you don't see them, they're there, they are here. We believe that God created the world in six days. And in that kind of worldview, the, the fact that a virgin conceives and gives birth to a son by a miraculous work of God is not, not a surprise to us at all. We know it's supernatural. It's, it's a miracle. Never happened before. Never, never will happen again. Only once. But it happened once because it is a key to our salvation. It is foundational to our faith. Now, I mention all these things because this sermon is not going to launch now into a big discussion about the virgin birth. What I hope and what I trust is that we all say, yes, Mary was a virgin when she got pregnant. Uh, That's a simple fact. It's a miracle, but it's a fact. And if we accept that, then we can go into the main message of our text, 
which is how wondrous is the grace of God to sinners. And with that, also to look at the reaction of Mary and realize that we have in young Mary an example of faith, which is something for us all to think about and strive to be the same. Summarize our sermon in this way. Gabriel tells Mary that through her, God will bring the Savior into the world. We'll see three things. Gabriel assent to the Virgin Mary. Gabriel announces the birth of the Davidic Son of God. And Gabriel receives the willing acceptance of Mary. The first part of our text, we read that God sent his angel Gabriel to Mary, a virgin who lived in this little backwater place known as Nazareth. Our text starts off with the words, in the sixth month. So what what six months? What are are we talking about here? Well, if you look at the verses just before that, you you read there that, that Elizabeth got pregnant and she kept it secret until the fifth month. So we we know the sixth month now is talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And that links the two passages together. What also links the passages together is that Elizabeth and Mary are relatives. Mary has known now for about a month that Elizabeth is pregnant. There are so many parallels in these two stories and they're linked together. What is parallel is that in both cases, Gabriel came and announced a miracle. Even for Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were old, they were barren, now they're going to get pregnant. That's a miracle. And of course, the angel coming to to Mary and saying, you're a virgin and you'll get pregnant as a virgin, that's also a, a, a great miracle. So there are similarities and parallels, but there are also tremendous differences. And they are important. For one thing, if we take Zachariah and Elizabeth, we say this couple had all the proper credentials. He was a priest in the temple, in Jerusalem, the very center of Israel, Israel religion and political life and, and economy. He was well established. They had a home. They probably had money. They had respect. And when it was announced that Elizabeth was pregnant, everybody was happy. Mary, on the other hand, was at the very bottom of the social economic scale. She was a girl living in the middle of nowhere. And the moment that people learned that she, a young, unmarried girl, is pregnant, her world, as she knew it, would collapse. She would be mocked and she would be She would be thrust away from family and friends and from the community. So there's a very big difference between Mary and her relatives, Zachariah and Elizabeth, but there's also another difference. When Gabriel said to Zachariah, Elizabeth will get pregnant, he didn't believe it. When Gabriel spoke to Mary, she believed everything that he said. She had questions. She had to learn. We're going to look at that in the sermon. But she believed. She was an example of faith, even to her own relative who was a priest there in in the temple. Now, Mary is described as a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Mary was a virgin. Later on in the passage, Mary actually says, 
I'm a virgin. Although literally, she says in Greek, how will this be since I have not known a man? So what Mary explicitly is saying is, I have never had sex with a man. She is chaste. She is holy. She's engaged, but she never did anything wrong. She lived as God wanted her to live. I should say something about engagement and marriage in Israel at that time. It's a two-stage process. First of all, the man and the woman come together with their families, and there's a formal legal engagement where, in, in a way, they're considered to be married, but they have to wait a whole year. A dowry is set up by the girl's family to, to give them something to start their married life, but they would have to wait a year before getting married. And during that year, there was no sex, there was no getting together whatsoever. You waited the full year until the actual day of marriage. Now Mary, at this time, would have been a girl under the age of 15. It's a typical time to get engaged in Israel. You could be 13, 14 year old girl. When I was thinking about that earlier this week, I went to my catechism classes on Tuesday evening, and my first class is a group of 12, 13-year-olds. And I thought to myself, Mary could have been in this class. And you look at those young boys, you look at those young girls, and it boggles the mind to think that Mary could have been their age, or maybe just a little bit older, maybe 13, 14 years old, when she used to become a mother. And in this very miraculous and amazing way. I mention that, brothers and sisters, just so that we don't think of Mary as maybe a 26-year-old or a 32-year-old. You know, a woman who was mature, who could think things through. She was a girl. She was just hitting puberty. She was just starting her life. And an angel comes to her and says amazing things. And she looks him in the eye and in the end, she says, I will do exactly what God wants of me. We have here a girl of faith, such as we have never seen in scripture and such as we may never meet in our lives. It's an amazing story of a young girl who submits herself to the Lord. Now, Luke informs us that Mary was betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. By itself, we might not think a whole lot about that because, you know, David had lots of descendants. But of course, when, when the gospel continues, and especially when we compare notes to Matthew 1, when the angel came to Joseph, we realize the significance here. Joseph would become the legal father of Jesus. Not the physical father, we understand that, but legally, Jesus is his son, his true son. And that means that Jesus would be the descendant of David. And we will discover actually he is the descendant of David. In him, all the promises are going to be fulfilled. He is the offspring, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent, who would take the throne of his father David and establish an everlasting kingdom. All the promises in the Old Testament. We're finding there, yes, in our Lord Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel, who had been sent by God, goes to Mary 
and then a most interesting exchange takes place. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Twice the angel says to her, You have found favor with God. In Greek, that's the same word as grace. Mary says, Gabriel, the grace of God is upon you. And and what, what Gabriel's communicating here is that, Mary, God is going to use you in a very special way to bring about his plan to fulfill it. And while this plan is unfolding, God will always be with you. His undeserved favor and his grace is upon you. Now, we read that Mary was, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that this might be. You know, uh, when we read that, we, we might just think, ah, Mary's just like Zachariah. She's pushing back. She doesn't believe it. She doesn't accept it. But that's not what Luke is saying. Or what Luke is literally saying is, Mary was at a loss to understand The word troubled means she was pondering it. She was mulling it over. This was hard. 13, 14 years old. And an angel appeared to her and said, the grace of God is upon you for an amazing mission. She's trying to figure that out. It's hard. What could it mean? And she was also getting a little bit anxious. Gabriel could feel that. And he quickly puts her at ease by explaining Now, of course, we understand that Mary's situation here is utterly unique. Once in in all of history moment, an angel coming to Mary and saying of her, you're going to get pregnant even though you're a virgin and this child will be the son of God the son of David. We would say, you know, that that is so unique, we we can hardly understand it, a unique story. But you know, if you think about it, you realize that every story in this room is just as unique. There are some very special things about what happened to Mary, but the same special things happen to each and every one of us because we're all sinners. And sinners have no business in the presence of God. God wants nothing to do with sinners. Well, what does he want with me? Paul's talking about that in Ephesians 2 when he says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And then a few lines later he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace we have been saved. Mary experienced tremendous grace when the angel came to her. And she fulfilled a very special role in the history of redemption, becoming the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. But my brothers and sisters, God has come to each and every one of us. We who were lost, we who lived in darkness, 
We were who were under the power of Satan. God came to us and the Holy Spirit not only washed us clean in the blood of Jesus, he caused us to be born again so that the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart. God came to Mary. God comes to me. I who am a sinner and he makes me his temple, his dwelling place, Emmanuel. Mary was surprised. I'm surprised every day of my life. Surprised by grace. How is it possible that God would show grace to me and come to me and make me his child? Isn't that the story that each and every one of us shares? Mary's unique. You're unique too. We're all unique because we're surprised by grace. This would always lead to one conclusion as Paul expressed it at the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And then Paul says, amen. That brings us to our second point. Beginning in verse 31. The angel explains to Mary what this means that God's favor is upon her. He says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel tells Mary, You're going to get pregnant. Although you're a virgin, You're going to get pregnant, you'll give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus. Now, After this, Mary would have compared notes with her fiancé, Joseph, who had also been told by an angel that the name of the child is Jesus because that's God's declaration and promise that this is the Savior. Jesus means Savior. Jesus means the Lord is salvation. And now if we look at verses 32 through 33, we see that Gabriel makes five declarations about this child to be born to Mary. First of all, he will be called great and son of the most high. That means he's God. Only God is great. And he's the son of God. Son of God is coming to the womb of of Mary. He's also the son of David. You know, our our passage here brings to mind the prophecies of 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 110, and Psalm 132, which we sang together, where it was not only told to David, your son will be a great king, but in Psalm 110, David says of his coming son, you are my Lord. You are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You are a king. You will not falter. You will establish the kingdom of God. This child in Mary's womb is son of God, son of David, who will establish the kingdom of God, which is a theme through all four gospels. The kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, is a new world and a reality that we experience now where the citizens of that kingdom, they get in, because they're washed in the blood and the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is a kingdom of prophets, priests, and kings 
who are now able to live to the praise and glory of God in every aspect of life, family, marriage, work, education, it's all the kingdom of God. Mary says, Gabriel, you're going to get pregnant. And that child in your womb is son of God, is son of David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the gospel proclaimed to Mary and proclaimed to us as well. And now comes Mary's question in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? And you know, initially you might think she's pushing back, she's protesting, she's doubting, but she's not. She's just asking a simple biological question. I'm a virgin. How will I get pregnant? Like, do I have to quickly get married to Joseph? Do I have to commit adultery? What's going to happen? How am I going to get pregnant? And, and, and Gabriel does not take ill of her. She's not asking anything wrong. She's not doubting. She's looking for clarification. She wants to understand. She wants to be part of it. And that's why Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So here, Gabriel is describing the miracle of a virgin conception and birth. It will be a miracle of the Holy Spirit himself. Luke, or Gabriel, uses an amazing image here when he talks about the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that brings up so much Old Testament imagery. When the tabernacle and the temple were built, God overshadowed the tabernacle and his glory filled it. And when Israel came out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the desert, they were led by a, a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, fire that, that, that always overshadowed them. It was the presence of God who protected them, guided them, and led them. So with Mary, when it says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, that's a way of saying God in his love and grace is going to come and perform a miracle in your womb so that the Son of God enters your womb and takes your flesh and your blood. It's a beautiful image of the presence of God, of Emmanuel. And what that does is, is it takes away any silly or, or dirty talk, the way some people have done about the Holy Spirit and, and Mary. There's no room for that. This is a miracle of God who created the world, who also creates a miracle in Mary's womb. And this had to be done because our Savior needs to be a true man without sin, and true God. We confess that in Lord's Days 5 and 6. Only a true man can pay for the sins of other men and women, boys and girls. And only a Savior who is God will have the ability to bear God's wrath against sin and after his resurrection be able to bring that gospel out to the whole world. Gabriel uses the example of Elizabeth's pregnancy to underline that God can do these things. There's nothing impossible with God. The God who said, let there be light, and there was light. The God who, who said, Mary, you're going to be pregnant as a virgin, and that's God's son, and, and the son of David in you is the God who can do all things. 
And he can also come to us in our darkness and in our sins and wash us clean as white snow, white wool, and be born again as children of God to live to his praise and glory. That brings us to our conclusion. We read in the last verse of our text, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Obviously, Mary fully accepted the word of God, and she was willing to do whatever God required of her. And then we see the angel leaving. Mission accomplished. God's work is now going to continue in the life of Mary. But consider what Mary was saying, brothers and sisters, when she said, Lord, whatever your will is for me, go ahead and do it. As it was, Mary was at the very bottom of the social scale. The moment she became pregnant, she would bottom out and go even lower. To be a a teenage girl who's not married and to get pregnant at that time in that kind of society meant you were a pariah and you were an outcast. And she was just 13, 14 years old. Most 13, 14 year old girls have dreams. They dream of getting married, of starting a family, of having a home. But for Mary, those dreams might now be dashed. And still she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, Mary did not have an easy life. She watched her son Jesus grow up and she saw some really amazing things. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He preached in a way that took people's breath away, that gave them hope that the lost sheep of Israel had something. He was a shepherd. But at the same time, she stood at the cross. Saw everybody mocking him. Her son bleeding and dying. You know, when Jesus was born and, and Joseph and Mary took him to the temple for dedication, old Simeon said to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. While her soul was pierced at the foot of the cross. And you can imagine Mary standing there with all the others and the disciples, not understanding one bit what was happening. Oh, my son, I had dreams for you. You're a man of power. I thought you were going to change the world. I thought you were going to save us. You're dying, humiliated. You can't do a thing about it. What a disappointment to me. You have been my son. Don't blame Mary. Nobody else understood either. But the one thing that Mary could have remembered is a similarity between herself and her son. She had once says, Father, whatever is your will, no matter what the cost, I will do it. The night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus realized the horror of going to the cross, and he wondered if there was any other way to do this, he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Like his mother, 
this son said, Father, your will be done. If I have to die on the cross, so be it. After the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Mary, of course, understood. And she understood what it meant that the favor of God was upon her. And it was to be worked out in the life, in the death and victory of Jesus Christ. It also became clear to her that Jesus was her Lord, her Savior, and her King. Our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, brothers and sisters, because he wanted to save sinners. He saved his own mother. He washed her in his blood, caused her to be born again by the Holy Spirit to live to the praise and glory of God. And that is the same gospel offer that we have today. The gospel that we have heard this afternoon is a God who so loved the world he gave his only son to take upon himself the flesh and the blood of the Virgin Mary. We know that gospel even better than Mary understood it in her day. And she said, Lord, I surrender my life to you. What about us? What about you, my brother, my sister? Do you surrender your life in every possible way to this amazing God. Amen.